Thank you for tuning in to the Identity in Me podcast. I'm your host, Stena. My friend and colleague, Dr. Sahoy Lee, is the featured guest in this episode. We decided to have a conversation about our respective experiences with Thanksgiving and the weight that comes with going home for some people, namely students. While I'm grateful for the opportunity to relax and spend time with people I don't get to see often, I also know that going home is complicated for a variety of reasons. Thanks for listening. Thanksgiving. Here we are. We finally got to the break. How are you yeah, feeling, yeah. Dr. Lee? Um, I'm in a state of transition. It takes, it usually takes me a couple days to phase out of work mode and into break mode. I'll get there, but it takes me a few days. Talk to me about that. So you can't instantaneously go from being in work mode to home mode? What? <laughs> no. You know, I still get a little wired in terms of like, am I going to get called tonight? Is there an email that I should be attending to? Are there kids for me to kind of, you know, there needs to be attended to, you know, just kind of loose ends. And so I just, I feel like I need to wrap those things up and have some distance in time or passage of time for my body to really recognize like, okay, we're, we're done. We're okay. Let's, let's just relax. It takes me a minute. Yeah, similarly, I mean, I don't transition into breaks uh, with uh, seamlessly, but a couple of days ago before the break started, I said to myself, all right, I have to focus on being more present at home mm-hmm. and um, doing so will require me to put my phone down for a period of time. So I've already been thinking about that. And yesterday evening, um, Estelle and I had a chance to play Guess Who. Um, she's one round away from winning. And it's just, it's a a very accessible way that I connect with her. Um, She wants to often play these different games. And I'm like, I got to find something or a few games that we can like connect easily over. And yeah, um, Connect Four is another one that we play. So we'll be playing a lot of games over the the next several days. And I get real competitive. I don't let her win. (laughs) No, no, no. This is when I think kids are so helpful because they really force us to do that um, transition quickly. Oh, absolutely. As quickly as we can, because they are needing something from us. Put down our phones and focus on our kids and just give ourselves a chance to exhale and be present. I'm thinking about growing up um, in the 80s and how we didn't have the distractions that we do now thinking about my initial experience with Thanksgiving in particular, do you remember your first experience with Thanksgiving? I do. You know, when I moved moved to the States, I was 10. And I think even that first year when we were staying with my uncle, you know, they, they had a Thanksgiving meal. So I remember 
the meal. I remember learning about it in school. Of course, the version of what we learned in school is very different than what we now know, you know, as an adult to to better understand what truly happened. Um, But the, the memories that I actually think about when it comes to Thanksgiving was when my family and I were living by ourselves in San Bernardino. And I remember it was for a few years, it was almost like this fun challenge that one of my sisters took on to make the turkey. Okay. And like she would, you know, she likes to cook. So she would like um read up on, on it and study it. And it was always fun to see her kind of work on the bird, if you will. Again, we didn't grow up with Thanksgiving, so it's not like there was a, a recipe from my mom mm-hmm. or my grandmother that was getting passed down, you know what yep. I mean? Yep. Very American style of cooking. And so it was kind of fun watching my sister do all of that. Um, and it always turned out really good. And we tried different things every year of like candy yam, or I remember that a lot. And, um, but no matter what, there's always Chinese food at the table. (laughs) Okay. So tell me about your spread. And I'm going to talk about my initial experience with Thanksgiving in a little bit, because I remember the day, but I want to hear, uh, what was on the table and was your sister's first turkey good? I've never remember anything being bad. So I'm going to say, yes, it was good. And I think part of the good is that it was fun, right? Like we were all together. We all know that she was trying to cook this bird. And it was just kind of a fun experience to be together. So it was all positive associations. But on the table will always be Chinese food. Like we'll do the bird. We'll do a couple tra- quote unquote traditional sides. like. Um, well, we do like the mac and cheese or candy yam. It was a, a favorite of our families. Um, and then you'll get the fried rice. You'll get, you know, the white rice. You'll get <laughs> the Chinese vegetables. And um, sometimes my family would throw in like a, you know, cook like a whole, you know, head and tail fish, a whole fish. That's our Thanksgiving. It's a very much a fusion of the two. I think mm-hmm. in part, that's just because how we eat. But also my father was one of those guys that if he didn't have rice as part of his meal, he didn't mm-hmm. eat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yep. I remember if we splurged, you know, saved up and splurged and went to um, Sizzler. That was like a big deal for us. I don't know if he has Sizzlers. Growing no, up, no, no, not on the East Coast. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know what it would be equivalent to. But anyway, we we go to this restaurant and my dad, you know, order steak or something. He comes home and he still will want my mom to make him some rice with something else. You know, it's like it, the, a meal is not complete unless there's Asian food as part of it. Yeah. Um, similarly, our spread included some Haitian food and I was resistant to it initially. So our first Thanksgiving dinner was in 1989. And it came after when I was in second grade. I remember my teacher asking what we did for Thanksgiving and what we ate. And I had nothing to share because we didn't celebrate Thanksgiving when I was in the second grade. This was like 1988. Um, And actually our first Thanksgiving was 1990, not 89. I came home and I said to my mom, we have to do Thanksgiving. And my brother supported it. He was a few years older than me. And it must've been harder for him because he was in like fifth or sixth grade. And uh, you know, I know teachers were probably asking in his classroom and friends were wondering, what does he do for Thanksgiving? So both of us got on my mom, like, we have to do this Thanksgiving thing. And so the following year, my mom um, whipped up a turkey. And that year in 1990, Thanksgiving 1990, it snowed like crazy in Boston. There was a storm. 
And my brother and I were outside playing and rolling around. So earlier when I was talking about technology and needing to unplug, you know, there was a lot less to unplug from back in the day. And it was snowing. We went outside, played for hours and then came back inside and the turkey was ready. There was um, Haitian rice and beans. And then my brother and I, the following year, were like, no, you got to add mashed potatoes and cranberry sauce because that's what people eat for Thanksgiving. And interestingly, um, many, many years later, two summers ago, I was reading a book by um, Richard Blanco, the Prince of Los Cocuyos, and he was reflecting on Thanksgiving similarly, like trying to get his family to cook a turkey, and they were trying to figure out what to do with the turkey, and um, him trying to encourage his grandmother to put certain foods at the table that um, he associated with Thanksgiving. So I know that it's not always this initial neat experience that people who don't grow up here have with, or people who are born here have with Thanksgiving. Um, Because we're trying to emulate the popular culture as opposed to putting our own flavor into it. Did you have similar misgivings about what was on the table as I did? You know, as I'm hearing you talk, I don't remember these conversations being initiated by me. I don't remember coming home saying, why don't we have this? Or can we please have that? So I kind of credit my parents for being very forward thinking and kind of anticipating that might be a need of ours. And I credit my sisters. I have three older sisters that maybe they started some of that conversation. One of them was interested in cooking and kind of took the turkey on, if you will. And so it's just kind of a natural inclusion on uh, of these Thanksgiving traditions that are at our table. What I appreciate, though, it wasn't a replacement of our food. It was a infusion to it. Does, yeah. does that make sense? Yep, like yep, yep. our table doesn't look just traditional Thanksgiving, whatever you associate that with, but it was like our version of it. Sure. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I love that. I love that we weren't trying to act like we didn't like, we don't still want that fried rice and the fish and the, you know, but it was also fun to try on the turkey and the yam and the mashed potatoes. And it was just this fluid process. It wasn't, it didn't feel like a, um, a hard thing that we were trying hard to do. And eventually I came to accept what my mom was going to put on the table. I realized I didn't really love cranberry sauce. Um, I realized I didn't need mashed potatoes, especially when I had real mashed potatoes, because my mom liked to make her mashed potatoes and she's an incredible cook. But with mashed potatoes for a long time, she would do the Idaho spuds in the big can. And then when you have it with the real potatoes, it's just not even close. (laughs) You were robbed of a mashed potatoes experience if you got it from the can. Um, So that was that. And I made an assumption here. I got into this conversation and didn't uh, provide any context around uh, our conversation. I didn't ask how you identify. I'm just assuming that all the fans are listening. I invited um, Sahoy who I affectionately also call Dr. Leo Shahizel, to have this conversation about Thanksgiving, how we experienced it initially, and also this matter of when people go home for break, what what is that experience um, and how we can support students in particular when they're uh, going home and coming back from break. Mm-hmm. So with regard to this matter of Uh, going home or being around family. I'm even thinking about this from the vantage point of an adult. When I'm at work, overwhelmingly in the Office of Multicultural Affairs, I am with people who have very similar social views that 
I have. Mm-hmm. We're all kind of on the same page, but um, depending on where I go for a break, whether it's Thanksgiving, Christmas, etc., um, there's always going to be an individual who like seeks me out. Like, oh, so tell me about this particular issue. And then I have to put on my DEIJ hat and figure out how I'm going to have this conversation and keep the peace. Um, do you have that experience at all? In my personal life? Yeah, in your personal life, just having to navigate these more difficult conversations with family or friends for Thanksgiving or Christmas or name it. Yeah, I have it, I think, more with my husband's side of the family. So my husband is Caucasian. Uh, and I think I have it with his side of the family. I hope it's because he they see me as a safe person. They can ask some questions yep, about. Yep, yep, um, yep. And so we do have some interesting conversation. It's never a debate. It's never a, a fight. It's never like, oh, my God, don't talk. You know, don't make, don't have eye contact with that person. They're going to ask me some questions. Never like that. It's more of a, a curiosity. And again, I think it's because they feel like I'm safe to them that they can ask some of these questions. Um, and I've learned over the years that it's okay to engage in those conversations yeah. Yeah. and is also okay to say, say no, thank you or not yeah. right now. Yeah. And I've learned to, to navigate it that way. Do you have a script that you follow? Like a polite, not right now, or is it just like, eh, not right now. I ain't here for all that. I'm, <laughs> I'm here to eat, uh, have a couple of drinks, go home. I, I am not engaging you. Like, how do you... Uh, disconnect from those particular conversations when you don't want to have them? I tend to have more of a softer approach about it and just say, you know, thank you for asking. I might need to think more about that, but is there, can we talk about this another time? Yeah. yeah. Because I also don't want to dismiss them, you know, because they, I'm particularly thinking about his half brother and half sister. I'm thinking about them. They're generally curious and want to talk and we don't see each other very often and so when we do, it's almost like they, I can see them wanting to capitalize on the opportunity to have some conversations. And that's great. But it's hard when I'm also managing the two kids or it's hard if I'm also I'm just trying to rest, you know, whatever. And so to say, can we talk about this a little later? Yeah. It's not a rejection. Yeah. But it's more of a pivot. And I think that's worked well for our family dynamic. My own side of the family. I don't. Yeah, I don't think I think what I get is I get more questions from my nieces and nephews questions that perhaps they have and they either don't know how to approach their own parents about it or, or whatever, but because I'm the aunt, th- that auntie. Are you the cool auntie? I, think I could see that. that. <laughs> yeah. I, I love it when my niece comes and visit over the summer and she'll stay with us a month at a time. And we get into some interesting conversations and I think it's great. You want to have somebody that you can go to. And I hope my kids go to my sisters that way. They don't feel like they can come to me, you know? Yeah. 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 I'm thinking about this matter of how to engage people in these more difficult conversations. I already have the matrix in my mind. Okay, I have to affirm you in the conversation. So I'm going to say to you, hey, you know, you're better than that. You know, like, let's think about this from a, from the standpoint of how you would want to be treated or your children or a um, sister or relative. Like, how would it feel if somebody did that to you? Come on, you wouldn't like that, would you? So I have to have that gentle approach. I'm also uh, sometimes when I want to keep it brief, this is particularly with um, if I don't have a a deeper relationship with the person. Like, hey, my motto in life is spread love. If I can't spread love, then I'm going to hit pause on what it is that I have to say because there's enough hate out there. Hopefully you sign up for that too. You know, it's very easy to spread love. I don't do shouting matches with people 
And I'm always going to say, hey, like, so we can have this exchange. Maybe not right now. We could do it later. But when we talk about this, I need you to really listen to me and I'm going to give you space and I'm going to hear you out. But at the end of the day, um, I hope you're committed to embracing people and, and choosing to love them instead of fanning flames of hate. And I feel like if I don't do that and I let them walk away without any sort of statement, I, I haven't done them a service. Right. And it's a lot of weight to carry that into uh, a family gathering. Like you have to be the person to make sure that a relative doesn't go out and harm somebody else. Now, there's also children who go home, like the students we serve and, you know, there's what they experience at school and then they go home and then they have to navigate certain dynamics that are perhaps unsafe. As a therapist, what sort of tools do you try to provide students with to be able to deal with home when they get there? Yeah. Well, my first thought is, you know, the word unsafe. As a clinician, I am a mandated reporter. And if I truly believe or have suspicion that a a, a home is unsafe, there are things that I need to do about that right? It, it may be involved in DCYF, right? We want to make sure that a child is in a safe environment, meaning that they are not being abused and harmed in any way. Uh, and then I think about unsafe can be a broader term, a place where you don't feel seen, a place that you don't feel affirmed. Uh, it may not necessarily mean that you're physically unsafe, but it could mean emotional, I suppose. And um, so anyway, there's just more nuance than that. So when I hear students say, you know, I'm worried about my friend because if they go home, um, it's not safe for them. I have a lot of questions okay. <laughs> about how are you defining unsafe? They don't get along with their parents, not necessarily unsafe. Their parents have difficult uh, a different political stance, not necessarily unsafe, right? Mm. Like, how yeah, do you, how do you define unsafe? How do you define that? I'm not disagreeing with you, by the way. Yeah. But I know some people are probably very intrigued right now by what you're saying regarding your definition of unsafe versus that of a younger person, particularly Gen Z. So I'm thinking about, is this reportable? If a child is telling me, I cannot go home, it is unsafe for me to go home because I'm going to have to face that uncle, that whoever, that hurt me between the ages five to eight and I don't want to have to see that person when I go back because we're all going to get together for Thanksgiving. To me, that's an unsafe environment, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That will then trigger me having to report to um, the authorities. That will then trigger the authorities having to do checks, wellness checks with the family before we allow the child to go home. Yeah. Will that uncle be there? What is our protection of this child to make sure that this child is not going to be in any harm's way? Yeah. Right. So that kind of reporting to the to that level of unsafe or a lack of safety um, is something that we're obligated to to see through. And when I think about that, I think about do we have enough information that we will take a child from their parent? That's what we're saying, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're saying. You cannot go home and we're going to intervene. Even if your mom and dad says you can, or your dad, mom, dad, or parent says you can, we're saying we need to check some things out before we release you to go back home. So um, if I may interject here. So um, person you're talking to says, 
yeah, when I go home, I'm dealing with parents who don't share my uh, political values um, or relatives who say harmful things about other people. And yeah, I just don't like the negativity in my household. Do you then jump in to say, you know, client, I hear you. I'm sorry that's the situation you're going back to, but that's not necessarily unsafe. Like, do you look to change their definition of unsafe in the conversation is what I'm asking? No, 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 no. You don't want to. um, It's important to listen to the words that clients use. It's also important to educate clients, right, um, about what certain words will mean or does not mean. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, Sometimes we have young people whose vocabulary to describe their emotional spectrum is limited and they'll say things like oh my gosh i'm so i'm so upset i can just kill myself whoa 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 yeah yeah did you mean that yeah right and fortunately nine times out of ten once you understand more and you do the safety assessment the child will say well no i don't really want to die i don't want to kill myself i just feel awful yeah Right. And so you educate them in like, okay, let's talk about how to build your vocabulary to describe a very intense emotional state. But I want to kill myself. It's a very different thing that you're communicating that adults are going to respond to that statement as they should and check things out. And so kids get better as they get older uh, and with more experiences to know how to describe their experiences. You know, words are limiting. We know that. Uh, And words to describe emotions are limiting. But there are certain ways, there are opportunities to educate somebody what some words mean and and maybe they don't even mean. So going back to what you're saying, no, I don't correct a child and say, oh, you're safe. Come on. You're not. You're not. What I might say is what I'm hearing from you may not trigger any reporting obligations here. But what I'm also hearing from you is that you're very uncomfortable about going home. Mm. What do we need to talk about to help your experience at home as good as possible, as safe, we'll use their word and definition now, as possible? What else can we think about? And so in this situation, I might think to a child, who are your safe people at home? Who is that auntie or our uncle that you can have a, have a safe word with? And when you say that word, they know without any conversation to remove you from the situation. Right. Hold on. You don't tell them, you know, your parents put a roof over your head. Your parents probably pay for your clothing. Your parents probably pay for that cell phone you have. And so they're not that bad. You don't you don't hit them with that when they tell you <laughs> that home is unsafe. I not only not hit them with that. Okay, audience, them... please know that <laughs> I don't do that. Then I doesn't hit them with that. <laughs> That's but not you know the thing what? to do. Yeah. But you know who hits them with that themselves? Yeah, yeah. Kids will say, "Oh, but they do this. My mom and you know my parents do this and that for me, and they put a roof over my head. Like I'm being ungrateful by you know kids. You know they beat themselves up a lot, and so they don't even need me saying that. And it, I will never. And it's not true. But um, that they struggle with that too. And, and and when kids go home, there is a lot of that. Yeah. You know, recalibrating of family dynamics and how I see my my family and how my family sees me. There's a lot of that. But going back to that thought of, you know, we do create some safety back home. I remind students that 
break is limited. Sure. No matter what, December 4th comes and you will be in some sort of transportation coming back to campus. We can mark the end of this break. Who are your safe people? Um, what are the resources back home? Um, you do, you do kind of prep the child for that visit home because not every visit home this next two weeks is joyful and grand and just full of, you know, family gatherings that are fun. And by the way, folks, December 4th is when our students return to campus. We both work at a boarding school, in case you're wondering what's special about December 4th. Um, but public school kids don't leave for a period of time. They don't leave home. They go right back to it. Um, so we're not necessarily talking about the public school experience, but the same thing applies in terms of how we provide support. And so along those lines, uh, my question to you, Sahoy, is what are some questions some safe and gentle questions that adults can ask students when they return from break, keeping in mind that we don't all go to situations that are pleasant. Yeah. And I think these will be the same set of questions you ask before break, as well as when you re receive them back and we welcome them back. You know, I would ask them rather than what did you do for Thanksgiving or where did you go for Thanksgiving? Where are you headed? Or, you know, I think what we should think about is asking questions like, what are you most looking forward to? What are you excited about? And again, maybe it's on the other end is what surprised you about the last two weeks? Yep. You know, yep. um, if you had to pick one moment that stood out, what was it? I think that takes away the assumptions that there was travel. That takes away the assumption that the family celebrated Thanksgiving because some don't. Yeah. Um, it's important to just think about how much we assume when we ask some of these questions. And my go-to question over the years has been, um, especially more recently in the last few years, recognizing that the situations that young people go back to are so uneven is, did you get some rest mm -hmm. uh, over the break? Um, did you prioritize that in any way? Did you find the opportunity to rejuvenate at all? And if so, how did you replenish lost energy? Especially working at a boarding school, it's like the situations are just so disparate that I feel like that is the most gentle question that I can ask mm -hmm. um, to not elicit a negative response. And even that, you know, could be like, no, nah, I, I didn't really get rest um, over the break because of whatever the situation might be. But I find that that's a lot easier of a question to answer and more manageable than, yeah. did you want some fancy vacation? I don't even go on you know, vacations during Thanksgiving, because I got to save for summer and, you know, I'm still working class, middle class, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and Thanksgiving is tricky because there's so much association to Thanksgiving that involves family gatherings and food. Yeah, yeah. Two things that can actually be really hard for some some people. Yeah, yeah. You know, I remember just one of my uh, last few clients that I saw before the break was a child who has physical pain, in, um, dealing with a physical illness that when they eat certain type of food or when they eat a lot of certain type of food, they get really sick. Yeah. And so thinking about, well, how are you going to navigate that at this family gathering? And are there ways for you to get the food you need? And are there, you know, is there a substitution for certain types of, uh, of ingredients? Like how do you communicate that with your family? It's not just immediate, but your extended family who's going to be bringing the stuff over. What's our game plan here? Because I think the more that students can go, young people can go in prepared and feel empowered to advocate for what they need, those situations can be easier. But we should not assume 
that everybody's excited about Thanksgiving food, even though I know I am. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah. doesn't mean that everybody is, right? And so as we close out here, can you uh, tell us what's on your table now? So you talked about what was on your table growing up. And um, for the audience also who haven't heard previous conversations that we've had, um, Dr. Lee identifies as Taiwanese American. Um, I know she made reference to Chinese food earlier, so I want to make clear to draw that distinction. Um, but yeah, what's on your table? <laughs> well, what's going to be on my table this year? And again, I like to because who knows what next year will, will be. Yeah. Um, but this year we're going to my husband's side of the family for Thanksgiving. And that's always fun because um, my sister-in-law takes pride in her Thanksgiving meal prepping. So I don't have to do any work. I just kind of show up. Mm. And so we'll have our turkey. We'll have our, they love uh, mashed potato. And there's always some sort of like dinner rolls. She does this green bean casserole thing. That's always, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, so I enjoy that, and I, and my kids are learning to enjoy it too. We always have all the pies and all the fixing, um, and I know that my family in California will be gathering um, for Thanksgiving, and I know that there will be duck, there will be <laughs> some sort of um, chow mein, like a noodle right. yeah. dish. Um, my brother-in-law's family are really good at making dumplings, so they yeah. will do a lot of that. Yeah. Um, so that's fun. And I'm looking forward to getting home to California to, to enjoy some of that um, around the next the Christmas and New Year holiday. If they could freeze some of that and you could bring some of it back with you, by all means, please, please share the wealth. And, and my table is going to include a turkey. I don't know about stuffing yet. Uh, and I should. Um, we talked about stuffing. My wife is not a big stuffing person. Uh, we will have some Puerto, Puerto Rican arroz con gandules. My wife mm -hmm. is Puerto Rican. I am preparing some kale, and that's not a Haitian dish, um, but um, Haitians typically eat like a lot of leafy foods. And more recently, I discovered kale, and so I'm going to use some Haitian seasonings to prepare the kale. It's not going to be like tough kale. I'm going to boil it. Yeah. Um, boil, boil all those nutrients out of it. <laughs> um, my girls are going to make an Oreo cookie pie. Um, yes. We're going to have some uh, fried plantains and I can't remember what else is going to be at the table, but it's definitely a mix. It reflects our cultures adequately. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, I think our table will look differently, you know, if we were hosting. And yeah, that's what yeah. I mean. I think every year brings its own joy and reasons to be grateful. And that's what we should focus on all the time. So what are we grateful this year for this year and what do we want to take into the next year, but I'm all about gratitude. Right on. Happy Thanksgiving, y'all. Before I proceed with my wrap up, I invite you to follow the Identity and Me podcast on Instagram at identity underscore and underscore me. You can also follow the podcast on Spotify and other streaming services. Please be sure to rate it a five while you're at it. I want to add something in this wrap-up about the difficult conversations that I referenced during my conversation with Sahoy. Oftentimes when we engage in those contentious exchanges, there's a desire to win or have your point fully understood. For a number of reasons, your desired outcome may not occur in the moment. Pride doesn't often allow people to receive and process a contrary thought in the heat of the moment. 
Over time, I've accepted that I'm not going to win in the moment. It isn't even my objective anymore. I use these conversations to understand where someone is coming from and how they got there. These days, I'm entirely comfortable with just planting a seed. Also, sometimes people learn from hearing themselves express opinions that have been repressed aloud. Shout out to the people who have held me accountable over the years. I've grown because of that. Until the next episode of Identity in Me, keep reflecting. Identity in me. Identity in me.